friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples and today's episode is a bit different to the ones that we've had before. We've had interviews and we've had uh, just me chatting but today is a conversation with two friends. I've got Sarah McDonald here with us from Hope Church in Islington. Benedict Atkins planted a church in Canning Town uh, three years ago uh, with some friends of ours and the plan really for this podcast is uh, one of us will bring a thought that then we can have a conversation as a group around. And the kind of rules are that we um, just want to wrestle through something together. And we want to have permission, I guess, guys, to be able to say something that then we backtrack and go, do you know what, what I just said? I'm not sure I agree with. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. So friends, welcome to our next episode of Making Disciples. Okay, friends, I've got uh, just a little thought I want to share with us, and I want to get your views on this. So I was reading from Matthew 23 recently, and in this passage, it's called the seven woes, and the woe means like seven warnings, and Jesus gives these seven warnings to the religious people. And uh, the fourth warning I just thought was really interesting. So this is 23, Matthew 23, 23. It says, woe to you, a warning to you, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, a hypocrite was, uh, it's a Greek word, it just means performer on a stage. So, uh, warning to you, you religious people, you performers on stages. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and f- uh, faithfulness. And then he says, Jesus says to them, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And I love that line, you... you uh, strain out a gnat but swallow a camel and the whole idea of what Jesus is saying here to these religious people is they were so focused on doing things very precisely in a very religious way that they were neglecting more important matters and I just think it's a, it's a lovely a little warning to uh, to the religious people what what have you made more important than anything else and by doing that you've neglected what Uh, God really desires and Jesus says what God desires is justice mercy and faithfulness which um, and if you spot this but it's actually straight from Micah 6 8 it's one of my favorite little verses in the Old Testament it says what does the Lord require of you but to act justly love mercy and walk humbly with our God and what the people had done uh, 2,000 years ago was they were so precise with everything even down to the point of how much crops they gave to the harvest and I want you to have you guys ever grown cumin or dill or herbs have you ever done this yeah like so you know when you grow if you grow potatoes you get you get sacks of potatoes but when you grow a herb you get a small amount and it's like jesus has been really ridiculous uh you are giving even 10 percent of the smallest herb that's grown like you are being that precise so he's kind of mocking them for uh the, this act of worship that they're giving them and they've need you know they've done so they've gone for the for the most important thing for them, but they've neglected these bigger matters. And then he uses this great little phrase, I love this. Uh, he says, uh, you blind guys, you've strained out a gnat, but swallowed a camel. And this is what I want us to focus on. Uh, I don't know if you, in the Aramaic, do you guys speak Aramaic? I really don't. But I heard this read as if Jesus was saying it in Aramaic. And that little bit in Aramaic is camela and gamela. <laughs> and it's like Jesus turns to them and says, um, you camela gamela. And it's, it's meant to be humorous and really funny. It's one of those, extraordinary phrases that Jesus does where it's full of uh, 
uh, you need the word hyperbole, it's kind of, um, it's blowing it all out of proportion. And it just got me thinking, what are the gnats and the camels of our faith? Because what, what the Jewish people were doing was, um, they were straining out a gnat out of their cup of tea, whilst at the same time they're choking on a camel. And it's like Jesus is saying, you're focused on something really insignificant to me, whilst at the same time you are choking on something that is really important. So you're, you are so caught up with giving 10% of your wealth, whilst at the same time people are starving to death and you are neglecting justice. So that just kind of got me thinking about what would be like modern versions of that. So a couple of examples, and I'm going to ask you in a minute what you think your modern day examples would be. But, you know, uh, we are so precise about how good the song worship is that we neglect to worship with our whole lives. Like we become so interested in uh, what instruments are being played and how well the drums were played and, and were these new worship songs or are they old worship songs. So we get so caught up with how our worship sounds that we neglect justice, mercy and compassion when we leave the worship space. My other example would be this, uh, we're straining out the gnat of sexuality, mm. like we are debating sexuality as if that is like this major issue and by saying that I'm not saying either way is the right way, I, I don't want to go down that route but we're, for us the gnat of sexuality is what we're debating whilst at the same time we're choking on child poverty mm. and we're really interested in uh, relationships but we, we're less interested in the fact that a child is just washed up on our beaches dead. Uh, so th that's for me what I'm trying to kind of wrestle through where uh, Jesus is saying you've took the least important things and made them the most important and the thing that you're choking on you don't even know you're doing it. So that's my little thought I'd like to dump with us. Where are we as a church focused on the wrong things and we're neglecting the right things? And I'd love to hear your views on, on what some of those things might be. So, so the first one that like springs to mind for me, which I think, you know, depending on your church environment is more or less of a uh, issue, but we become so obsessed with modesty culture. And by that, I mean like what you wear, what's appropriate for Christians to wear. And yet we never ask questions of like where we get our clothes from, mm. which actually massively contributes to like environmental issues and into like kind of the factory culture in various parts of the world. And it is fascinating that like we might, if, if and it, you know, generally it's women, but it could be men as well. If someone walks in in a way we deem inappropriate, we might say something or we might feel uncomfortable. But if someone walked in in like a Primark shirt, we wouldn't be like, ooh, they're in a Primark shirt. We must like have a conversation. And it's just interesting to me that like, that has become, we're, we're so fixated on almost like, and I wonder if it's partially because we want to focus on things that are small and some of these other issues feel so big, we're like, it's easier to focus on the dill and the cumin, because if you focus on the dill and the cumin, you have to worry about like the massive inequality, which feels so big, but it, we can feel like we're doing something right. I would totally agree. I think there's a clue in this, in the things that Jesus uses as examples for the gnats and the camels. So for the religious people that he's speaking to, the, the gnats are all things which they can control, Mm. Whereas the camels mm. that he's talking about, mercy, righteousness, faithfulness, they're actually things that feel a lot more exposing and risky for us because they're about relationship mm. and loving people and beholding other people. And I think that is where it's way easier for us mm. to get hung up as a church. We, we get the sense that we need to do something. We need to care about something we go back to these religious ways of wanting it to be something that we can control and achieve 
rather than something which actually turns us outwards towards love and learning from others. I guess there's always a danger, isn't there, that we're always looking in on ourselves. And what Jesus is doing here is forcing the religious people to look out, not look in. You're so interested. And one of the things I came across when researching this is that the Jews had a prayer. So if you went to wash a cup, you had a prayer to pray when you washed the outside of the cup and the inside of the cup. I, they were so precise over they, I mean, how long it took, it took them to do the washing up, I have absolutely no idea. But it's that sense of they had so much control over the worship. And it was a way of looking inwards and being more pious, but whilst at the same time neglecting the fact that there were children outside of the city who were starving to death. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't neglect that because they, they, were, they were dealing with the important stuff. And I, yeah, I wonder if a part of what Jesus is doing here is forcing these religious people to look out beyond their 10% tithe to what are the big issues that's in society that God is really broken over at the moment. And I think what's interesting about that is that that forces dependency on God as opposed to dependency on ourselves, right? So if we're like, oh, I'm going to deal with this issue of poverty, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge like the finite human nature, the fact that we can't solve every single issue around inequality and poverty, which means that it should, in theory, lead you back to prayer, right? Lead you back to that like desire to intercede, desire to engage with God. Whereas if it's about control, you can be like, well, I've done my, um, I don't know if you got, you know, have you heard of SMART targets? You know, this is, no. um, so I can't remember what the, it's an acronym, but like, it's, um, it's the idea is you only set goals you can achieve. And I think a lot of our culture is quite about like, well, we set targets in our churches so that we can achieve them. We do like our five-year plans so that we can achieve them because that gives us a sense of control and satisfaction. Whereas actually having to deal with the reality that some problems in the world are so big that we can't, deal with them like even like a small forces us back to God and it forces us back to that relationship which I wonder is maybe what Jesus is hoping they'll get to is this acknowledgement of on in our own strength in our own we cannot do anything but we with God we can do much more which is hard because it means you have to abandon control Mm. you have to abandon that like desire to 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 set goals that you can achieve you have to like be prepared to set goals that are bigger than you can achieve and they were obviously incredibly controlling. Because mm-hmm. if you try to weigh out 10% of your deal and your cumin, I, the, the preciseness of that is ridiculous. So it feels like that there's a sense of this is about their control. They can control this. But I wonder, if, if just throw it out a bit wider, I wonder when God says what kind of worship he wants, does he want our worship that's beautiful and precise? Uh, does he want our worship to sound great? Because a part of me would go... It's good to have good worship, isn't it? Mm. It's good to have worship that's brilliant and is uplifting. But is it actually the, the, require, the requirement of God is not how good your song worship is, uh, but your requirement is are you living a life of sacrifice and a life of worship? I was leading worship this morning for my staff team and uh, we were singing um, Guardian. Mm. And I, my guitar, I'm playing in F. And I'm, I'm obviously singing in, in A. And, I'm, I, and it, was, it went well for about five bars. And then we just ended up in fits of laughter. But there was in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, this is so irreverent. But then in another moment, I'm thinking, hang on, I think Jesus would love this. Yeah. There was something very honest and raw about it, uh, which very much feels like my church, to be honest. But um, yeah, is there, is, 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 the question for me then is, what is the worship that God requires of us? What is it God is wanting? Does he want us in church singing songs? Uh, and that's a dangerous thing to ask being a church leader. Uh, you know, what is the balance? What, what does this life of worship look like? Well, the first thing that springs to mind is that line from the Bible 
where it says that God doesn't desire burnt offerings and sacrifices, but a, a heart that comes to him open and willing and aware of its need. And I guess it's from that place that the right kind of sacrifices come. You know, you, you can have the outward life that looks like it's godly without the inward connection with God. And God says that's worthless. But actually you can't have that inward connection with God without it spilling over. And that's the starting point, isn't it? Mm. So what does that look like in practice? I think that's where this word hypocrisy is really helpful. Because in practice, I think where we all get hung up on it is the consistency, is the, is the them what. So when Jesus often says, you have heard it said, love your neighbour, but I tell you, love your enemy as well, right? So we talk about Brexit. A lot of people rightly concerned about the way that we might neglect to look after foreigners. But then there's a lack of consistency in the way that that person might talk about people who voted differently. Mm. Mm. And that's what makes us hypocrites. I'm actually not that concerned about how you voted. I'm more concerned with how you treat people who voted differently to you. Mm. You might be championing the cause of the refugee, but you're not loving to your neighbour who voted differently. Mm. And I think that's a gnat and a camel situation as well. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree, but I think that's a blind spot for us as Christians in this country at the moment. Well, it is interesting, isn't it, that um, we get so caught up with the, the minor details that we miss these massive issues in the way that we worship God. Without, and I would say voting is yeah. one of the ways that we worship God. Yeah. We honour God by the choices that we make. And, and therefore, when I go to vote, I, I need to ask myself, is this, um, is the person I'm about to vote for, is this a good vote if Jesus was voting? Is this how he would respond? Is this how he would worship with his life? Mm. Yeah. So we were think we are, I was in a really interesting church church um, at this week about standing and sitting in worship, and we were dealing with a situation where um, basically we're having what is, we're basically having a conversation about like what is the right response and how much is our is it like our our responsibility to encourage people to stand up and like is that genuinely a discipleship like does that demonstrate that someone is growing in their faith and being discipled and um what well, and actually one of our group who is younger and much wiser than us she said something she said i don't care if someone's sitting or standing but i care that they're worshiping and you and there's a difference and you can like you can be sat and you can be engaged and i think that's maybe the gnat and the camel thing right we're so concerned with like what is a right posture in worship or what is a right kind of what is the appropriate response in a moment in like a religion in a service that we don't always ask the question but what is what does worship look like for different people in different seasons and different environments and actually you can be I guess that's back to the hypocrisy thing is your posture can be one thing but your heart can be something else and I think it's so easy to get concerned with the visual well it's easier to be concerned with that visual like what is what, what does it look what what does it look like that's happening and not to ask the question, well, what are the kind of outcomes and the symptoms of a church that is truly worshipping God and a church that is seeking after God? What about this for a gnat and a camel? Mm. Um, you're straining out the gnat of standing and sitting mm. and you're choking on the fact there's no disabled access. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which that really worries yeah. me because I they're the kind of I get caught up mm. so often in the debates over should somebody raise their hand or not, and what is the bigger issue in that moment that Jesus is saying I don't care, mm. but I do care the fact that 
there are people that can't even get into your building. Mm. Uh, you know what? You know that's even a yeah. There are other things that yeah, that's so true. I find this passage incredibly challenging because as you start digging into it, you start to think, what am I missing? Yeah. That if Jesus was right in front of me right now, he would say exactly the same to me as he would a Pharisee. And I'd sit there going, oh, I totally, I didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, so I want to, can I ask you this question? Mm. How do we work out what the gnats and the camels are? How do we work out what are the minor things and what are the major things? I think you could probably get to it by asking the question first. What is it that we love about straining gnats? Because when you work from that point, I think yeah. you, you can then probably trace it through. So I've got pictures in my head of these, these rabbis sat there with a mug mm. of coffee. Turkish coffee, obviously, mm. or something. But they've got a little strainer. Mm. And they're lent, you know, they're lent right over the cup, mm. and they're, they're diligently trying to strain out a fly that's landed in there. I think it's such a wonderful image. Sorry, say that again. Well, I think we love to know that we're right. Yeah. Mm. Don't we? And when we become Christian, it's easy to approach it as we would any other project or journey or course where the aim is to know your stuff and to be in the right. But actually, we're invited to approach a God who is so full of stuff that we don't know. Mm. And, and simply to know that we're held and loved in that. Sure, there's stuff to learn, but actually the learning is no good if it doesn't lead us to love, mm. is what he yeah. says. Um, and we love to know that we're right. But Jesus would say it's possible to be right in such a way that you're actually wrong. Mm. <laughs> you know, this is when Paul is talking about you know, what good is prophesying, speaking in tongues, having all the best theology in the world if you have not love? Because mm. <laughs> after it all, yeah. love remains. Mm. And we could talk about sex and sexuality and the debates in the church over that. Mm. Um, if you were to take one side of the debate, you could say, well, I'm right by the Bible, <laughs> but actually what the way that you treat other people with that could completely undermine you. And if theology is more than our thoughts, if theology is our actions and our love, then it's totally possible to mm. strain a nut, yeah. but choke on a camel, or as what is the Aramaics as Aramaic Camel gamla. Yeah, be a, a camel gobbler. Mm. Camel gamla. I think also like gnats are time consuming. So I think sometimes it's asking the question like how how much time am I spending on this issue? So for example, I was oh. thinking about your example about worship and I know like it's so easy in the church to be like people aren't giving enough to the mission of the church but then not be asking the question well there's an estate down the road that we give nothing to and that tension and I think sometimes the things that you and I mean even what you took the sexuality debate can be hugely time consuming and you know it's an important conversation to have but it's possible if that kind of issue can completely take over all your time and then you know and become such it becomes the only thing you're fixating on and I think sometimes mm -hmm. that's where even just looking at like when I you know as a Christian how am I spending my time like where is my time going what are the issues I think about a lot and I've, I've been thinking a lot about, like, we're all in London and um, in a lot of our areas we're dealing a lot with knife crime. And I'm like, if I'm spending more time thinking about what I think about sexuality than I am about young people <laughs> being killed in our streets, like, that's a problem. <laughs> and so I think sometimes just assessing, like, why... And also being really honest about, like, why are the 
the kind of topics why are those issues resonating with me um and what is that triggering in me and actually being able to have an honest response to that like why is it we fixate on some questions and not others is it because we're trying to fixate on things that we can control is it that we're trying to fixate on things that other people so that you know that kind of um, I always think it's interesting to ask the question, like, what are the things that you, if you meet someone and um, they talk about following Jesus or they talk about going to church, talk about being Christian, what are the questions you want to know that make you think them safe? Because it's really easy in the church to be like, oh, but are you like me? Are you part of my tribe? And so if there are those, and I think that's where we can get into Nats, like we're spending loads and loads of time fixating on stuff um, in a way that actually um, becomes completely counterproductive. It doesn't lead anywhere. It's just kind of a circular mm. obsession. That's really interesting. Like, I've heard lots of people say they've left churches because of NAT size mm-hmm. issues. I've never heard anybody say I'm leaving this church because they're not fighting injustice. <laughs> they're not fighting poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not passionate about creation care. It's always, I left that church because... They moved the chairs and I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay, guys, I want us to get super practical for a second. So we're going to play a game called Nats and Camels. Great. I'm going to name a NAT... And then one of you's got to come up with the camel alongside mm-hmm. of that. So, for example, Benedict and Sarah, I'm going to throw one out and then who's fastest? So, uh, abortion, the gnat of abortion. Okay, gnat of abortion, twofold. Um, lack of education about sex education and consent, which enables um, situations to happen where unplanned pregnancy is more common. And so people are in vulnerable positions. That's one uh, camel, followed by a lack of support for teen mums and for uh, people who um, are in a situation where they maybe don't feel like they actually have the choices that they might like to make because but like both choices are so bleak. That's great. So we're straining up the net of abortion. That's an issue we're passionate about. Then at the same time, we're, we're choking on the fact that we're doing nothing. We're actually not involved yeah. in that debate at all. What about... Um, a church who is spending money investing into software to help church members not use pornography. Camel. To you too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the camel to that net would be, so you are really caring about trying to keep your young women and men's eyes and hearts pure, but not spending much time investing in anti-trafficking work. Um, education at schools, lobbying the government to change regulations about pornography, praying for the systems of, in, of injustice and poverty that lead people to getting into the porn industry. Mm-hmm. And consent. And consent. consent. Okay. What about the gnat of drug addiction? Camel. Um, the world is a difficult place and we... Um, for people who feel strong emotions and feel strongly and struggle, we don't have um, enough of a culture of vulnerability that gives people a chance to air when they're not feeling okay and when they're struggling, which means that often we turn to addictive substances as a way of coping. So that's one. And also I think like we don't have great conversations about um, addiction issues generationally and in families. And so it's it's if you know, you've know you come out of an addiction, a household full of addiction, um, we don't, we're not good at having the conversation that that might be an environment you're in and so we don't talk about how we cope that's great what about the net of transgender dis dis i don't know what the word is dis phobia gender trans 
we're gonna have to edit this bit okay. out for yeah. clarity. Gender issues, uh, transgender issues, okay. transgenderism. So what about the nat of transgenderism? The massive issue that hardly any Christians actually know or are in a friendship with someone who is going through something like that. Yes. Bingo. How about the gnat of sin? <laughs> What's the camel to that? Because isn't that at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here? That to the gnat of sin, which we choke on, there's a camel which is... Well, we're so caught up with the fact that we want to make sure people are not sinning. Yeah. We can't see the fact that their life, for many people, sin is just a way out of the mess that they've been handed as a life. Yeah. And nobody ever goes into yeah. prostitution for fun. Yeah. They do that because of the cards that they've been dealt. They can see that's the only option. Yeah. For many of us, we end up sinning because we just don't think we've got another option. Yeah. So the camel there is the fact that we don't know who we are. We have a society who don't know yeah. who we are. We don't know what we've got. We don't know yeah. um, who we're made to be. Yeah. And we don't understand the way that as people we're in relationship with each other and therefore we fixate on personal sin over the reality that whilst personal sin is obviously a real thing, we don't, it's it's not, it's very, sin very rarely like comes out of just one person. It's interconnected by through our family experiences, our friendship experience, the community we're in. It's so, we don't talk about corporate sin because we're so fixated on personal sin that we don't talk about like sins of whole communities and sins of whole nations, which like the Old Testament prophets were very fixated on. So I think we've gone quite a long way the other way by fixating on our own personal sin. What about the net of uh, banking? And uh, fine, you know, we get so caught up a number of years ago about the bankers and the bankers were uh, screwing the system. Mm. And um, there was a lot in the media about, about the, the banking crisis being the fault of the bankers. This I, is a... Ah, oh, that's a good one. Are you going to go? Go. I think this is a great nap because it gets down to hypocrisy. Mm. Which of us, being in the position where we could make a lot of money and pretty much get away with it, would not do that. And it's the same with the gnat of mm. um, a particular prominent American politician at the moment, that a lot of people this side of the pond are very quick to call an idiot and to judge. But actually, which of us is not prideful, does not lie for an easier time? Mm. Also, the camel of the fact we're not good as the church about talking about people working in different types of jobs. And so what that NAT does is abandon Christians who work in the private sector or Christians who work in banking to not have any way of articulating what it looks like to follow Jesus in that environment, which means that they're kind of that we've created an unnecessary secular and sacred divide as opposed to having an intelligent conversation about like, what does it look like to be a Christian in a capitalist society? Like, what does it look like to to engage in the financial sector, um, which is a camel because that takes a bit more work because you actually have to like think about it and educate yourself and have a conversation. But what we, by making things so um, gnat-like and black and white and drawing these lines, we basically leave a whole generation of Christians who have gone into the city completely um, in a boat without a paddle because we're not, we're saying, we're saying there's no way of being discipled. Mm. Or even, it's controversial. The net of fair trade clothing, right? That I might buy a fair trade item of clothing to ease my conscience, 
and then completely ignore the fact that um, a lot of factories in India might be shutting down mm. or just moving around to other parts of town where they can get away with it more. So we're not saying buying fair trade clothing is bad, but actually there's a bigger mm. picture here, which is um, accountability, infrastructure, mm. alleviation of poverty and that, that sort of thing. Guys, I think what concerns me more is the fact that you guys don't know how Nuts and Camels works. I meant to ask the questions about you. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You, you are amazing. I tell you, uh, thank you for kind of uh, doing this with me. Maybe just to kind of wrap up, I think one of the questions that I think it'd be worth kind of going away to think about is, you know, what is it that we're fixated on? What is the one thing that fixates us more than anything else? And just ask ourselves the question, is that the one thing that Jesus would be fixated on? Is that the thing that he would be passionate about? And there is this danger, isn't there, that these, these little things start overshadowing big, God's big passions. God's big passion is for injustice, it's for the poor, it's for the oppressed, it's for those that don't know him, and these little things overshadow God's passions. So uh, what is it that we're fixated on? And I suppose the other question for us is, um, what are the things that makes God angry? Like, are the things that anger me about my church or my church community or Christians, are they the same things that would anger Jesus? And, and then holding those two things together. And not in a trying to get Jesus to say what I want him to say kind of way, but genuinely, would this be something that Jesus would be passionate about? I think that's gotta be a, a thing that we go away and think about. Guys, thank you for today. And friends, until next time, uh, next Monday morning, we'll drop another Making Disciples podcast. Do share the podcast if you've enjoyed it today. Give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment. If you've got any questions or you want to add into the discussion, uh, then do leave a little comment on the podcast as well. And we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on what we've been discussing today. Friends, until next time, see you soon. Grace and peace. <laughs>